the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Joined early this Wednesday morning by Admiral James Stavridis, uh, United States Navy, retired. The Admiral, of course, just out in your Belinda with me at the Nixon Library uh, for a terrific presentation, which you can watch all of it over at the Nixon Foundation. Admiral, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, I want to begin because over at the Wall Street Journal, 41 minutes ago, they posted the story, China threatens retaliation over proposed sanctions. Furious statements from Beijing follow House passage of a bill condemning all detention of Uyghur Muslims. And the Eva Dow uh, article begins, China said it would retaliate if the U.S. presses forward with sanctions over Beijing's repression of the Uyghur Muslims. Washington's second stand on China human rights in recent days with trade talks facing uncertainty. I have a column on China congratulating uh, President Trump this morning in The Washington Post for bringing this attention to the forefront, this issue to the forefront. And you just got back from the region, I believe Vietnam. Uh, where is this standoff going to head? Because I don't see clinking of glasses and a trade deal coming up time anytime soon. <laughs> no, and I think the president foreshadowed that at the NATO summit where he began to say, and I think we'll hear this more consistently, that, well, maybe we're not going to have a trade deal you know, by the end of the year. Maybe we're not even going to have a trade deal by the election. Uh, and I think that's just the reality. We say in North Florida, sometimes you got to be for what's going to happen anyway. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing. Uh, I commend the administration both for the stance uh, against the uh, prosecution, persecution, really, of these Uyghurs, as well as uh, the support for the Hong Kong Act and the demonstrators in Hong Kong. But there will be consequences. There will be pushback from China. I think it'll come not only in the trade region, Hugh, but look for the Chinese military to become more aggressive in the South China Sea as we conduct our ongoing freedom of navigation patrols there. Now, Admiral, you and I have talked in the past about Silicon Valley selling whatever they can sell to the Chinese. I talk about this in the Washington Post column today. They viewed it as just another market, albeit an enormous market, but it's more than just another market. And when you sell facial recognition technology to General Secretary Xi, it's going to end up putting the Uyghurs into their concentration camps. Have you seen any signs that Silicon Valley is now awake that we're getting very close to selling uh, uh, you know, design drawings to the, uh, the, the German ironworks in the 30s? I am seeing those signs, Hugh, and they're manifesting in an interesting way. I'm seeing more of the uh, tech leadership beginning to talk very coherently about the uh, moral and principal consequences here. So you're seeing that conversation start to bubble, and these things aren't going to change overnight. And let's not forget it, it was U.S. policy for decades that we were going to embrace China and help the rise of the dragon peacefully and all of that. But that, that conversation is turning, 
And then secondly, I'm seeing more of the tech world, in particular on the artificial intelligence and the cybersecurity side, predisposed to cooperate with the U.S. government on our efforts there. So, yes, there's progress, but let's face it, that's going to be an important front in the confrontation between the United States and China. Now, in in this Washington Post column this morning, I concluded that the competition with China, though not a Cold War 2.0, is very much an all-out battle for leadership, and its fronts encompass every field of technology, weaponry, information age data, artificial intelligence, and cultural and international norms. Am I right about the comprehensive nature of the competition? Uh, Spot on. And and at recent conference in Asia, Henry Kissinger said we are in the foothills of a Cold War. Um, I would put it probably slightly differently. I would say we're, we're in a series of skirmishes in all of the areas you've talked about, from trade to military action to the South China Sea to um, moral and ethical and legal policy choices. We're in skirmishes in all those areas. Uh, sometimes skirmishes do lead to wars. It'll be, I think, a cold war. I'm not predicting a hot war with China. But uh, we, are, we are moving in a direction where we are going to have to confront China on a variety of issues. And I think the administration's been roughly right here, trying to bend China, uh, particularly on trade and tariffs. The key is we don't want to have this thing explode into not just a Cold War, Hugh, but a hot war. Not impossible. So we've got to uh, work across all of the vectors you described in order to create strategy to deal with China. China also announced that no more port calls uh, from American ships, which had been rather routine at Hong Kong. They can just go down the coast a little bit and put in at (laughs) Vietnam. You are just back from Vietnam. And I I went in February, and once I got over the April 30th, 1975 this and the April 30th, 1975 that, and the, the rhetoric that the the guides who are credited by the party have to or are obliged to tell every American they see. Then they talked about how much they were worried about China. So what is that relationship significance to the competition? And I don't want to call it Cold War 2.0. Michael Pillsbury and others say, don't go there yet. Just talk about the competition. So I listen to people who know what they're talking about. But how does Vietnam play into this? Uh, Vietnam is going to be crucial uh, to the whole region. So just a couple of numbers. As you know, Vietnam has a population of 100 million people, average age, average age 31. Its demographics are vertical, in effect, which is power and destiny for nations are young, exuberant, educated population. Sounds like Vietnam. Um, my travels around both with uh, officials and with U.S. diplomats and just in uh, guide settings, listening to guides. Yes, they have a little pro forma spiel at the stop about the Vietnam War, and that's fair enough. Uh, They won. We ought to just recognize that. On the other hand, almost immediately they segue to how important America is, how uh, the interchange, the trade is vital for our country, and how much, your point, they are concerned about China, which is pushing on them. Uh, in the South China Sea, moving large, for example, uh, oil and gas platforms into Vietnamese waters. They claim a big chunk of what Vietnam's uh, exclusive economic zone would be, the 200 miles that Vietnam would own in the South China Sea. So, yeah, they're young, dynamic. They want to work with us, and they are concerned about China. Sounds like a really good partner for the United States.
Now, in, in terms of when we put into a port, they have to have a certain capability. And I know Da Nang does. Do they, are they busy working that side of the equation so that American ships can actually port there in the way that Russian ships used to do? Uh, maybe it's Haiphong. I'm not quite sure where are the American ships go. Uh, American ships can go into Haiphong. They can go into Da Nang, which is extremely well situated to take American ships up to cruiser size. You could anchor off in our big deck amphibs. Um, it's very close to some gorgeous beaches. You know, everybody remembers the old uh, TV show, right, here, China Beach. That's yep. Da Nang. And by the way, my father, Colonel George Savaritas, proud Colonel of Marines, was in command of the perimeter defenses of Anang in 67, 68. So for me to go back and walk on that China beach and look at it and look at the, the pier they've constructed there and the possibility for U.S., not only warships, Hugh, but our cruise ships going in there, a big, big uh, market and a great way for us to exercise soft power and kind of pull those Vietnamese in our direction. I think that's going to happen. Now, Admiral Stavridis, I, uh, at your recommendation, read Waiting by Ha Jin, uh, a great uh, novel. In addition to Pillsbury's 100-Year Marathon and Graham Allison's Destined for War, and, of course, Dr. Kissinger's On China, this Waiting book just depressed me because of the ubiquity of the party. That is one of the themes that, you know, jump out at me is that there isn't a lot of joy in China. There is a lot of the iron thumb of the party. I, I have not been there but once. Is there any sign of what happened in the Soviet Union with Glasnost uh, that the freedom of the economy inevitably spills over into the freedom outside of Hong Kong, where it's obviously vibrant and the elections are real, but anywhere on the interior? Uh, not yet. Um, let us hope that ultimately um, that occurs. And, and that is the theory of the case. And that is indeed what we saw in the, in the case of the Soviet Union. And, and you know this from your study of world history and politics, sometimes big doors swing on very small hinges. Could Hong Kong be that small hinge? Maybe. Could Taiwan be part of that hinge? Uh, where many Chinese look to Taiwan. Uh, on the other hand, in my travels in China and my reading and study tell me that uh, the party has still a very, very strong control, and they're getting stronger. They're using technology aggressively. I'll give you one example back to the Uyghurs. Um, they're experimenting with using DNA samples to construct facial recognition masks uh, so that they can identify individuals. There's a, a stunning story about that uh, yesterday in the New York Times. Um, so they're pushing uh, not only in cyber and artificial intelligence, but in biotech. So this is this is the, the big uh, state, if you will, the 1984 level control over a society. I don't see that changing anytime soon. You know? And the last question yesterday or two days ago, Russia flipped the switch on their Siberian gas pipeline, which stretches from Siberia all the way into the heart of China. Pump and you can walk through it with barely bending over. Uh, it's an enormous I, I actually think China's played the Russia card on us in a reverse image of the 1950 us playing the China card on on the Soviet Union. Do you agree? I do. And here's my advice for Vladimir Putin if he's listening this morning, which I think is unlikely. But my advice is be careful, Vladimir. Be careful who you let into your kitchen, which is an old Russian proverb, because China, Hugh, looks north at Siberia, this vast landmass the size of the United States of America, guess how many Russians live there? About 15 million. 
population New York City. Think about the scale and scope of Siberia with nobody living there just north of China. And what is Siberia full of? It's not only oil and gas. It's fresh water, arable land, particularly as things get a little warmer, diamonds, rare earths, iron. China looks at Siberia like my dog looks at a ribeye steak. It's <laughs> really good. Really well, you know, good. And they are be not careful. Be careful, Vladimir. They're not shy about asserting ancient claims. And the Han people did get tossed out of part of Siberia by the Russians, were they not? You you got it. And so uh, look for that play over time as this uh, century unfolds. If I were Russia with a dwindling population, huge landmass, lots of resources, and a neighbor like China, I'd be a little concerned. That is Admiral James Stavridis. Follow him on Twitter at Stavridis. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com.